Hello, and welcome to Tales from Imperial Russia, with Dr. James White. Episode 15. The Afterlife of a Tsar. The Tale of Fyodor Kuzmich. History records the death of Emperor Alexander I quite accurately. Although the defeat of Napoleon and France in 1814 had brought the Russian Empire an unparalleled amount of power and prestige on the international stage, Alexander had retreated ever more into himself, despairing of the lost promise of his youth and the dangers of a new democratic world forged in the fires of the French Revolution. Renowned in his younger days for his affable charm and love for secular delights, the religious mysticism planted in him during the black days of the French invasion had metamorphosed into a relentless pessimism, an all-consuming obsession with the minutiae of his daily routine and a general preference for solitude. This was only enhanced by his declining health, and in particular his diminished hearing. His inability to discern the voices of others fed a feeling that everyone was making fun at his expense. This led, in turn, to an all-encompassing paranoia, one that resulted in new levels of reactionary conservatism in his government. Revolutionary groups were seen hiding in every shadow, justifying a whole slew of restrictive measures. To escape the bleakness that seemingly surrounded him, Alexander started to travel as no other Tsar before him had travelled, crossing some 160,000 miles of the Russian Empire in the last few years of his reign. In September 1825, Alexander made yet another journey, this time to the Black Sea coastal town of Taganrog, known today as then for its healthy sea air and sparkling spring waters. In the midst of a government crisis, inspired by the assassination of his chief minister's mistress, the emperor proceeded to visit the Crimean Peninsula and its military garrisons. Catching a fever during his inspections, he died on the 19th of November, 1825, his wife Elizaveta at his side. As she wrote to her mother a few weeks after her loss, all the earthly ties are broken between us. Friends from childhood, we walked together for 32 years. Together we traversed all the stages of life. Often distant, we always found each other again, in one way or another. Finally, on the true path, we tasted only the sweetness of our union. It was at this moment he was taken away from me. A funeral cortege bore the dead Tsar to St. Petersburg, where he was buried among his recent ancestors in the Peter Paul Cathedral, just across the river Neva from the Winter Palace. Thus, Alexander I finally came to rest, to lie undisturbed by the tumultuous times that followed his reign. For most historians today, there is little doubt that this is the true story of Alexander's death. However, for decades after his demise, a great many believed something entirely different, namely that Alexander had faked his own death 
and now walked among his beloved people as a holy man, dispensing wisdom and cures. The idea had several sources. First, there were the circumstances of a death itself. Vazar had departed from this life aged only 47, and in a place very distant from the public display of his capital and his court, contradictions in the autopsies and funeral irregularities added fuel to the fire. The two doctors present at Alexander's deathbed gave different accounts of his final hours and found symptoms of illness Vazar did not suffer from, such as syphilis. Although embalmed, the body decayed quite rapidly and became unrecognisable. This meant the orthodox tradition of laying the body out in an open casket for mourners to pay their last respects was not observed. Then there was Alexander's own official propaganda, which played up his role as Russia's saintly liberator from Napoleon, the French Antichrist. Hence the title awarded to the emperor by the Russian Senate following the victory, Alexander the Blessed. Alexander's own post-war religious bent was also well known, lending this ruler an aura of the sacred that few recent Russian rulers had been able to wield. The myth also had roots in popular Russian conceptions surrounding the monarchy. As in many other countries, it was often held that the monarch was a force for good, foiled only by corrupt and decadent advisers who prevented the Tsar from truly helping his people and preventing brutal maladministration. In the version of this story that correlated around Alexander, it was believed that he had finally tired of how his gilded cage forever defeated his promise to unchain the people from their burdensome yoke, and so he had stolen away in the night to truly be among his real kin, the poor put-upon peasantry. And finally, there was the rich tradition of royal pretenders in Russian folk culture. Claiming to be a mysteriously vanished ruler had, in the 18th century and earlier, been a political tool for malcontents. Not only did it bestow upon their revolts the mantle of regal legitimacy, but it also excused their followers of treason. The pretender was the true Tsar, it was argued, and to fight for him was to fight for a restoration of the rightful regime against fraudulent usurpers. Such was, for instance, the ideology of the eminent 18th century Cossack rebel Yemlyan Pugachev, who styled himself as Peter III, the murdered husband of Catherine the Great. None of those claiming Alexander I's name raised the banner of rebellion, but the idea that a supposedly dead Tsar might reappear from amidst the crowd was very strong. Thus we come to the hero of our tale, Fyodor Kuzmich. Arrested in the Urals in 1836 for travelling without a passport, he struck an odd figure. Although claiming to be a peasant and illiterate, he spoke French, had a relatively advanced understanding of mathematics, history and geography, and understood the meticulous social protocols of the nobility. Like Alexander, he was deaf in one ear, was tall, and had piercing blue eyes. After being whipped and imprisoned for several months for travelling without proper documentation, he went to Tomsk to work in a distillery, where he quickly attained a reputation for piety and charity. 
In 1842, he once again began wandering the wastes of Siberia. Where he went is not recorded. What is known is that he reappeared back in Tomsk more than a decade later, in 1858, and lived at the house of a local merchant by the name of Semyon Hromov. He finally died on the 20th of January, 1864. During Kuzmich's stay, Hromov became fully convinced that this humble, lowly peasant was none other than Alexander I himself in disguise. Quite whether Kuzmich himself did or said anything to persuade his patron or others of an imperial identity is uncertain. Apparently on being asked whether he was indeed the former Tsar, Kuzmich had told a crowd about his relief at his new life, in contrast to an old one full of cares. When marking the saint's day of Alexander Nevsky, the patron saint of the former emperor, Kuzmich had supposedly remarked, What celebrations there were in St. Petersburg on this day. They fired cannons, unfurled the carpets, at night the entire city was lit up, and a general sense of joy filled the human heart. Kuzmich also continued to amaze by relating detailed personal encounters with some quite elevated individuals, such as the Archbishop of Moscow. So it was that on Kuzmich's death, Hromov had his friend's grave read, Here lies Fyodor Kuzmich, the Blessed, and put Cyrillic initials on the cross that was shorthand for His Imperial Majesty Alexander. Hromov then wrote to the government in St. Petersburg to request a meeting with the dead emperor's nephew and namesake, Alexander II. The purpose of the meeting was to give the Tsar notes proving the regal identity of the dead peasant reposing in the cemetery of a Tomsk monastery. Unsurprisingly, the letter went ignored, but Hromov did not give in. In 1881, the merchant finally managed to pass on the notes along with Kuzmich's personal belongings and a portrait to a leading minister. Supposedly, Alexander III kept the portrait on his desk. It was further rumoured that this Tsar had the tomb of his predecessor exhumed, only to find it empty. A decade or so later, Liev Tolstoy, the author of War and Peace, was inspired enough by the story to pen Kuzmich's fictional memoirs, wherein he discusses his faked funeral. The idea was picked up by the historian Schilder, whose four-volume biography of Alexander I still remains the most comprehensive. It was further backed by a few archivists in St. Petersburg, who claimed to have seen confirmation in the document reams of the state archive. Even some members of the imperial family supported it, with the future Nicholas II visiting Kuzmich's grave during a visit to Tomsk in 1891. After the Russian Revolution in 1917, the Soviet authorities also may have given credence to the myth, once again examining the century-old grave of a long-dead Tsar. And then, in 1984, the Russian Orthodox Church canonised Kuzmich as a saint. Even today, some continue to give credence to the story that Alexander died not in 1825 as Tsar of all Russia, but in 1864 as Fyodor Kuzmich, roving holy man. But, 
As I have said, most historians do not believe Kuzmich was in fact the Tsar. The handwriting samples left by the Siberian elder are at wild variance to Alexander's firmer, crisper hand. No documentary evidence from the supposed excavations of Alexander's grave survived to confirm the absence of a body. And the personalities of the two men were completely different. By the end of his life, the emperor was noted for his paranoia, his desire for self-isolation, his fussy, fastidious demand for an inviolable, unchanging routine. All of this was very different from the placid piety for which Kuzmich was famed. And these kinds of myths about emperors were far from uncommon. Even Alexander's wife, Elizaveta, in no way subject to the same level of deification as her imperial husband, spawned a similar legend when the wandering pilgrim Villa Molchanitsa was claimed by some to be the departed empress in the 1830s and 1840s. The almost certain truth remains that Alexander died in 1825, and that Kuzmich was either a very well-educated peasant whose talents dazzled the class prejudices of those around him, or was perhaps a former nobleman who, either by choice or compulsion, had renounced his previous privilege to peregrinate around the countryside. Ultimately, these fables about deceased emperors and empresses were rooted in a folk concept of imperial power that identified the ruler as supremely virtuous and explained away injustice as a consequence of evil advice from wicked nobles, the real enemies of the peasants. This monarchical fantasy had surprising staying power, holding many in its grip until the all too obvious inadequacies of Nicholas II finally caused the illusion to turn to ash. But this, dear friends, is a tale for another time. <laughs>